for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. About the but God that we serve. We all have a but God moment in our life. If nothing else, our very salvation is a but God moment. As we've discussed multiple times in regard to our testimonies, we were whatever it is we were, but God, through his son Jesus Christ, saved us, and now we are. That but God statement's a powerful thing. And it's, a, it's an incredibly powerful thing in regard to the peace that God wants us to carry. And so I want to talk to you about that today, and I'm going to talk to you about that today primarily from Exodus chapter 14 through 16, although I will get there in a minute. Today I want to talk to you about defeating the storms by recognizing the full weight of God's provision over our life. God blesses. But sometimes we stay in our blessing too long. And I know that just, you're all, what? God blessed me to save me and then allow me to serve in the parking lot as a matter of illustration. But God didn't bless me to keep me in a parking lot. He blessed me to bless me to do something else, to do something else, to do something else, to do something else. There's a perpetual but God moment that should exist in our life. Amen? Amen. Many folks, because they get comfortable in, in the but God moment blessing that they are currently experiencing, uh, they grow comfortable there, and in their comfort, they stagnate. In their stagnation, they stop paying attention to what God's doing because they're comfortable. They end up falling into sin. God ends up having to correct and rebuke them. They, more often than not, repent come back to him and he blesses them again only to watch this thing happen over and over and over again it's the cycle of the old testament especially if you look at the book of judges you'll see this exact cycle god blesses his people god's people accept that blessing and become comfortable in that blessing they become complacent in that blessing they become sinful in that blessing judged in that blessing restored to blessing just to do it over and over and over and over again can I tell you, your but God moment should be a progressive thing in you. Some of y'all looking at me like a cow staring at a new fence. What I'm saying is the blessing that you have today isn't the blessing that God wants to keep you in tomorrow. He wants to bless you more tomorrow than he did today, more the day after that than he did that tomorrow. Because he is a God of abundant blessing, which means he overflows with blessing, which means that his blessing should overflow onto you and pour over you all the days of your life. There's not a moment of full of God in your life. There is simply moments of fuller and more full and more full of God in your life until ultimately God takes you home. Everybody okay? With that in mind, I want to tell you a story. Some of us make decisions that have destroyed our peace. 
in our place of blessing. This is what happened to the Hebrew people, the Israelites. I'm going to tell you a story about Joseph. And I'm going to condense many chapters into a few statements. Did you know God blessed Abraham? God made a covenant with Abraham, called him out of Ur, and said, go to a place I have prepared for you, the promised land, that is Canaan. He told him, go to Canaan. That's the promised land. Guess what Abraham did? He went to Canaan. That's where he went. This is important in just a moment. Fast forward some generations, and Joseph is born. Joseph was Israel's favorite son. And Joseph knew it. He bragged about it. He, he talked about it. So much so that it created some tension between him and his brothers. His brothers got tired of hearing his mouth run all the time. They throw him into a hole, decide they're going to sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery so that they'll be shed of him. In selling him into slavery, the people that bought him took him to Egypt and sold him into slavery in Egypt. Now, here's where I really condense this story. From the time he sold into slavery in Egypt until it happens, God allows Joseph to be blessed in Egypt. He causes him to be a man of influence in Egypt. He, matter of fact, if you know the story or if you don't, I'll tell you that the Pharaoh ended up allowing Joseph to manage all of his stuff. So he like ran the country. That's a blessing. Amen? The Pharaoh had a dream he couldn't interpret it. He called for Joseph, who'd been in prison, but we'll talk about that some other time. He called for Joseph. Joseph came and interpreted the team and essentially the dream, and essentially he said, There's going to be a famine for seven years, and you need to prepare for it. Pharaoh said, Yep, that sounds right. I'm going to put you in charge of preparing for it. So Joseph did everything that was necessary, gained provision, stockpiled supplies and food, did everything necessary to ensure that Egypt and the surrounding countries wouldn't suffer because of the famine that was coming. Through that process, as everything dried up, as Egypt became the only place where food was available, the same brothers that came and sold Joseph into slavery, came to Joseph asking for provision. And he gave it to them. Now there's a bunch of stuff I skipped over. Here's what I want you to know. Because it was comfortable there, because they were blessed there, all the people, the descendants of Abraham, left the promised Canaan and moved to Egypt and over 400 years became slaves. Did y'all catch that? They were already blessed. They came to receive a blessing. 
but got comfortable in their blessing, stayed in their blessing longer than they should have, when that isn't where God called them, God called them to Canaan. 400 years later, God has to send Moses to come and free them, to take them back to where they were in the first place. Y'all, that ought to blow your mind. That in itself is a Bud God moment. And that's the story of my life. God blessed me. And He blessed me so well that I grew comfortable. And He had to send something into my life. Usually it's a trial or some form of persecution or some temptation into my life to cause me then to want to go back to where I should have never left in the first place. Are y'all hearing me? That's a Bud God moment. That's not a curse in your life. That's a blessing in your life. That even though you deserve to be in slavery, He didn't determine to leave you in slavery. He came and got you, provided a way out for you, and then led you by the hand to the blessing you're currently sitting in if you belong to Him. Can somebody say amen in here? Amen. So they all leave Egypt. Moses comes. Moses says, God sent me. Plagues happened. All these miracles happened. The Pharaoh finally said, fine, just get these people out of here, man. You've destroyed our country. You've destroyed our resources. You've destroyed our firstborn. We don't want anything to do with this God of yours. Just tell him to stop cursing us. You can have all the people that you want, and we're going to give you stuff to take with you just to get you out of here. So God continues to bless them. But they forgot something. They forgot the God that they served. In all of that, they still forgot the God that they served. They forgot three things. They forgot that they were in the wrong place, but God provided rescue. Exodus 14, 8 through 11 reads like this. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Just so you know, he let them go, but then he changed his mind and he said, I'm going to go back and get them. They belong to me. And they still have all my stuff and I want it back. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overlooked them camping by the sea beside Pi Hahiroth, perhaps, in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. You think that's the understatement of their year? Yeah, they were probably less frightened and more absolutely terrified because they knew why that army was there. That army was there to kill them. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, when they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Boy, let me tell you what's happened here, if you hadn't figured it out already. They got far enough out of Egypt that they get to the Red Sea. They got the Red Sea at their back. They got the sword of death at their front. So in their mind, it's death by sword or death by drowning. And they begin to cry out to Moses. 
is this why you brought us out here? Did God bring us out here to die? No, 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 no. They didn't understand God brought them out there to be rescued. If God says he's going to do something, which is what he said he was going to do for them, then they should have had enough faith to stand on what God said he was going to do for them. That's not just a word for them. That's a word for us. If God gave you a promise and you know that that promise is true, you can declare that promise in the word of God. Then you stand boldly on that promise. Don't look at the enemy and say, what will you do to me? More like you can do nothing to me because I belong to the most high God. But here they are, between a rock and a hard place, as my papa used to say, and they start complaining. And Moses does exactly what a good leader should do. Recognizing that there's no temptation that can overcome them, that there's no way that God won't take care of them, that God will provide a way he began to foster hope in them. And this is what he says. But Moses said to the people, this is verse 13, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Man, that's some pretty declarative language, isn't it? They were freaking out. What they didn't understand is there's nothing that's come against you that God can't protect you from. Especially if he's promised to protect you from it. And so he's peddling hope. That's what we should be doing. In a world that's upside down, in a world like we live in where the government is trying to destroy everything, where the educational system is trying to create perversity in your home, where social media has distracted you from the greater, most significant things in life, which is to pursue God and love your family. When all of these things are happening, we need to stand on the fact that God is capable of rescuing us from all of those things and declare that truth to everyone who will listen. But we have determined to shudder that truth behind our teeth. I don't know about y'all, but I tell Jesus about, I tell people about Jesus because I don't know how else I would spend my life Amen. for someone who gave their life for me. Now you're thinking, it's easy for you, you're a vocational pastor. Let me tell you, it's just as easy for you, probably easier, because you probably know more sinners than I know. Because pastors, to a large degree, are insulated. You live out in the world. You go to the workplace. Pedal hope in that place. There is no temptation that has overcome. Boy, people would need to hear that. There is no temptation that has overcome you that isn't common to man. How awesome would it be the next time you looked at one of your friends who was having divorce troubles or money troubles or whatever troubles and said, listen, the thing you're dealing with, you're not the only ones ever dealt with this. But God is faithful. And in your situation, he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're capable of. But don't put a period there. 
Because there's no period in that verse in 1 Corinthians. It continues by saying, but he will provide a way out. Yes. You know what that does? That puts God's salvation on you. Or correction, that places God's salvation firmly upon you. But it becomes your responsibility to ensure that you don't step outside of that protection. How many of you guys, raise your hand if you will, and I don't want to know what it is, but if I said you got one sin in your life that you know isn't pleasing to God, raise your hand. Big, small, whatever. There's just one sin in your life you wish you got you were shed of. You know how you get shed of that? Recognize that God will provide a way out. If I know that God promises to provide a way out from the sinful temptation in my life, then I should make a predetermined response for when that temptation shows itself. You deal with such and such? Well, then make a decision defeat, to defeat such and such under the power of God in the name of Jesus Christ so that you don't have to make that decision at the time that temptation shows up. Because if you have to wait until the time the decision shows up, you're not going to stand it down. It's going to stand opposed to you and probably win because you didn't come into this fight prepared. Amen? But God promises rescue. He stands. And Moses says, Do not fear. Stand by. See the salvation of the Lord, which he has accomplished for you. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. He peddled hope. And then something crazy happens. First time I read this, I thought, and they left out two or three verses in the translation. Some don't seem right. Because the next verse, let me read them together. Verse 14 says, The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That's Moses declaring. Verse 15, Then the Lord says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Did you catch that? He's declaring, peddling this hope, declaring the majesty of God, the power of God, the provision of God, the ability of God to rescue them. And then the very next sentence is God saying, why are you crying out to me? Just do what I told you to do. So apparently sometime between verse 14 and verse 15, Moses got done talking to the people and then went around into his tent, got down in his prayer closet and said, oh God, I need you to show up. I done made your name known out here. And that's okay. People tell me it's disgusting, really, when people say, well, if you, if you tell God, if you question your faith, or you don't have enough faith to believe there's something wrong with you. Moses didn't have enough faith to believe for himself, but he believed for so many other people. There are things that I have faith to get you through that I'll be honest with you I struggle to think God would get me through I can believe for your victory I can believe for your healing I can believe for your blessing 
much more easily than I can believe for mine. And that's okay. You know what I do in those instances? I go to my tent, get down on my knees in my prayer closet, and I call out to God. And I say, I have belief. Help me with my unbelief. And you know what he'll do? He'll rescue me and give me that belief. Amen. He'll show me that he's still there, that he hasn't forgotten me, and will reestablish his relationship with me in a way like I'd never seen it before. Almost every time I get a new revelation of the awesomeness of God when he shows up and does something that I didn't think he was willing to do yesterday, today. Amen? And he'll do the same thing for you because he's a God of rescue. It's good. I'm preaching better than some of y'all are saying amen. Number two, not only does God rescue his people, they didn't have what they needed, but God provided resource for his people. Just to finish up the Red Sea story, for those of you who don't know, before I get into this piece, God shows out. Red Sea parts. Everybody walks through it. Egyptians give chase. They get out in the middle of the Dead Sea, or the Reeds, the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. I'll get in a minute. And the waters collapse around them, and they are ultimately destroyed, just as God said, never to be seen by their by the people of Israel again. But then they get to the other side and they start complaining. Get your Go get your mind around the fickle heart of man for a moment. God took us out of our Egypt, delivered us through the sea, and now we complain because we don't think he can actually take care of us. This is what they did. They complained. In verses 15, 22 through 26 of Exodus, they complain they don't have water. Oh, we don't have water. The water that we do have is too bitter, and we can't drink it. God must not care about us. And God gives them water. Not just water, but waters that is sweet. And then they complain in verse 16, or chapter 16, 1 through 4, that they don't have enough food. And God gave them miraculously gave them manna from the sky. And they weren't even happy with that. And they start complaining about the fact that they don't have meat to eat. And God sends quail. God is capable of providing for his people. What am I trying to do, guys? trying to help you understand God so that God may help you calm the storm in your mind. He provides rescue. This is what I know, that I've been young and now I am old, 
but I have never seen a righteous person abandoned or his descendants begging for bread. That's what I know. I've been hungry. I've been in need. And when I got saved and committed myself to a church family, I haven't been hungry or, need since, or in need since then. Isn't that crazy? No. That's by the plan of God. Angela and I, as you know, most of you know, when we first got married, we had negative nickels to rub together. We were, we were hungry. We didn't have gas to get to work. We weren't sure how we were going to pay our bills. But we were committed to a church family. And although I've never seen a $100 bill manifest on my kitchen table, I have had a brother that I was in fellowship with in the church come up and say, something's not right. What's wrong with you? And how can I help and pay that bill for me? Buy those groceries for me. Take care of that need or issue for me. Love me. Offer me peace where there was no peace. See, God's resource isn't just stuff. Amen. God's resource is mercy and love and kindness and long-suffering and unity. And we should share those things together. We're being commanded to share those things with one another. Amen? God is a resourceful God, a giving God. According to Scripture in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, he provided a lamb for Abraham and Isaac. In 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty, he provided protection for David from Saul. In Jonah one seventeen, he provided a well for Jonah. That messes me up because most of us would say that the well was the worst thing that ever happened in the life of Jonah. Can I tell you, the well is the greatest thing that ever happened in the life of Jonah. The, the horrible thing was the best thing in the life of Jonah for two reasons. If God hadn't sent that well to swallow him, he would have drowned and died, and he would have never been delivered to his calling. That well did both. Don't forsake the well in your life because it may be the thing that's going to offer you the provision of life and the provision to reach the calling that God has for you. That's good preaching right there. He provided all of those things, but let me tell you what he provided most importantly. He provided atonement by his son, Christ Jesus. He gave you life and life abundantly by giving up his own life completely. He lived a perfect life so that the imperfect could become perfect so the perishable may be able to put on the imperishable so those who were should be scared of death will no longer hear or feel the sting of death. God is a resourceful God who determines to resource his people and he does it through relationship with his son Jesus. Amen. Amen. And I am so grateful. You can trust Him to provide for you. I can trust Him to provide for me. Because what He's done for any one person in this book, 
He'll do for me. He'll do for you. He's immutable. You know what that means? It means he doesn't change. Whatever he was yesterday, he is today. Whatever he was 10,000 years ago, he is 10,000 years from now. And this is what the Word of God says, Acts 10.34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. If God rescued me, he'll rescue you and wants to. If he's provided for me, he'll provide for you and he wants to. If he's ever resourced me, he'll resource you and wants to. Let that calm the storm in your brain. But there's another thing. But God brought rest. In chapter 14, I'm sorry, 16, 29 through 30, we read this. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. He's talking about the process of manna. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out to his place on the seventh day. 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. Did you know that God offers rest to you? How many of y'all could stand a little rest? And I'm not just talking about Sabbath rest. I'm talking about this kind of rest. The rest that Jesus promised. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To be weary is to be fatigued, feeling like you can't move forward. Have you ever been there? Something has happened in your life. It was so traumatic, so overwhelming, so hurtful that you didn't feel like you could move forward. God provides rest in that place. Heavy laden, overburdened with the troubles of life. Where you're so consumed by your circumstance that it appears that, that whatever that is has created a black globe around you that you can't see through. Jesus is capable of destroying that globe so that he can get to you. Amen. He loves you and offers you rest. He says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. That is supernatural refreshing. Our responsibility to the but God that we serve is to trust him to provide that rest for us which of course he does in Christ Jesus. To trust him to bring that resource to us, which is Christ Jesus. And that rescue out of slavery, who is Christ Jesus. I know, I'm a broken record, man. Has everything about Jesus literally Everything is about Jesus. Amen. And the quicker people know that, the quicker they'll find the peace they're looking for. Where are you? 
Do you have the peace you're looking for? Do you need Jesus to rescue you, provide for you, or give you rest? Perhaps you've never declared Jesus Christ as Lord. Don't stay in that empty, dislocated place. But let Him, by the power of His Holy Spirit, draw you into Himself and provide for you.